If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. So welcome to the podcast tonight, Sierra. I'd love to start by learning a little bit about who you were before you became a mum. Hi, well, thank you for having me first and foremost. Um, who was I before this little one came along? Um, probably still a little bit the same. So I currently live in St Kilda, but mm-hmm. we're soon to be moving potentially. Um, I have worked in, oh, well, I call it the sexy part of HR. So I've worked <laughs> in recruitment, um, ran my own consultancy for a while, um, have done the agency thing and now, and I've been an internal for quite some time. So I am... Um, you know, help people achieve their dreams rather than do the firing side of it. So uh, I own a gin business on the side. So gin is in alcohol. And I am a lover of all things food, wine, fine dining, basically all the things that you can do that you can only do without children. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's me, I guess. Oh, and I'm 41, so I'm a bit of an older mum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that probably covers it a little bit. <laughs> covers you. And now you are a mum, so what led you to become a solo mum by choice? Well, uh, I, I had a bit of, a, yeah, a good thought, think about this. Um, initially, I didn't really want children. And I used to always say to my family, no, don't want kids, don't want kids. And that probably comes down to I have three younger brothers and there's a 10-year gap between myself and the younger two. Right. And I basically raised my two youngest brothers and it just it wasn't an enjoyable experience I felt that it kind of took me away from my childhood having to raise you know babies when you're 12 um Mm. yeah it just wasn't I don't know I I think I kind of looked at and thought well if this is what parenting is and having children is I don't want any of it because this isn't fun this is awful um I guess it just turned out maybe my brothers were really hard work um (laughs) and then yeah as I grew older (laughs) yeah As I grew older, friends of mine had kids and I just fell in love with them and they were just so beautiful and it was a very different experience and a humbling experience to watch my friends parent and, you know, we've all come from very various backgrounds and have had different upbringings, some great upbringings, some challenging. I definitely had a challenging upbringing and, yeah, I, I guess it just got me thinking, well, if I can love my friends' children this much, how much will I love my own children? Mm. Um yeah, so I, I guess it started off with that and then, you know, you date half of Melbourne and you hope to meet that special person and it just didn't happen. Um, and then I guess, you know, the clock ticked further along. You know, I think I, I kind of was approaching 35 perhaps, 34, yeah. 35, um, and I just started to see acquaintances, you know, friends, acquaintances and whatnot who had children with um, partners and they were separating. And then there was the legal and custody battles or there was partners that just didn't lift their weight and didn't contribute to parenting whatsoever and it became the the primary, the, the woman's job or the primary carer's job. And, you know, they were raising the kids alone anyway. <laughs> and that you just kind of see the stress that, that adds to a relationship and how upsetting that would be you just feel so let down and you know and then others were dealing with partners who had drug and alcohol issues and how that was impacting the children and I just 
kind of started looking at it and realized maybe I just lost a lot of faith in men, to be honest. (laughs) Um, You know, and I I think that's probably gotten worse since Tinder and all of those things. Um, It's just made dating very transactional. Um, And I just didn't want to be in a situation where I had a child with somebody and it didn't work out and being tied to them forever and my child being potentially tied to them forever if they were a real nightmare and the impact that that could have on our lives, um, our financial well-being, our emotional well-being and all of those things. So, yeah, I started kind of considering it more seriously at 35 and then um, a couple of people, a, a girl I went to school with, a woman I went to high school with, she actually ended up being a Salem one by choice and I watched her journey uh-huh. and she just really inspired me and I just thought wow this is actually what I want to do and we met up for champagne and had a good chat and met her beautiful little girl and I was just like yeah I've got to do this I have to do this so you know I I think you get to this point in life where you know you date a lot and you go through you know dating men who've got the wandering eye and who cheat or they're just not the kind of person you actually would want to have kids with like yeah they're fun and all but are they really the kind of person that you would want you know <laughs> do you think they be responsible with a child probably and not so many peter pans aren't there oh my god so many so many and yeah i, I just i knew being a mother was something i really really wanted and i didn't feel comfortable with the notion that a man was responsible for the outcome of that. Mm. And that made me really upset in a day and age where women have fought so hard for our own rights, you know, and we're so still quite far behind in that. I just, yeah, like why should we have to wait for someone to propose and have to wait to be allowed to get pregnant and all of these kinds of things. So, yeah, I I just I didn't want to do that. And weirdly, you know, even through dating towards the end and when I started this journey, I just started openly saying it to men and just saying, hey, by the way, (laughs) this is what I'm doing. And, you know, my ex-partner, I I said to him, you know, when we started kind of chatting online and whatever, um, I said to him, if this isn't for you, this is my situation, I'm approaching 40, if this is not for you, don't date me. With or without you, I'm doing this and I'm not going to allow a guy to kind of talk me out of it based on their experience. I have to do this. And, you know, and he still strung me along for two years, even while I was pregnant with Dylan. So, you know, it just goes to show it doesn't matter, even if you just can't pump the brakes for this. If it's what you want, you've got to go full steam ahead and honour what you want. And I'm so glad that I did that <laughs> because, yeah, I I wouldn't want to be trying to do what I did now. It would be even harder. I mean, you notice, like, the older you get, sadly, you know, as women, our fertility does have an expiry date and it's devastating. You know, men don't have to deal with the TikTok of fertility or the cost that comes with it and, you know, I think if they did, maybe they would have a little bit more empathy for what we go through as women and how hard it is to get pregnant. Maybe, maybe. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Actually, if men could have children, let's face it, the the human race would become extinct. We would have died out, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry if there's any men listening. I promise I'm not a man hater. I I do love men. I love nice men. (laughs) When you can find them, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you made the decision. what, What was your first step after you made that? Yeah, so I think I started listening to a lot of podcasts, funnily enough. I came across yours um, and then there was a couple, one in the UK, another American one, and started listening to a bit of that um, and just chatting to people, the girl I went to high school with. There was another woman who I worked with years ago and she's got, I think she's Mm -hmm. four-year-old and just started asking about, you know, how she went about it. Um, And everyone's just got such a different journey and the way they approach it. So for me, it started with going to my GP and getting all the blood work done. Um, She was a really great GP, I have to say. Um, I had no medical reason why I couldn't conceive. All the numbers were coming back really good. She was really pleased. Um, I looked into IVF and the costs, but given my fertility status, I just thought, well, you know, maybe I can just try this myself. And I actually stumbled across that Facebook page. That's where you can find a donor on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, lurked in the background watching what everyone kind of did before, you know, it took me 
quite a while before I had the balls to actually put something up. Um, and I had some real weirdos. Re- I did it eventually. And I had some real weirdos reaching out to me saying, I only do natural insemination or oh. NI as, you know, and, you know, because that's, you know, that that is scientifically proven to get women pregnant, which is scientifically proven that it actually doesn't work that way. Um no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I work at a university full time outside of gin and, you know, I love facts. I like the, the evidence-based stuff. So, yeah, a lot of creepy dudes out there also not disclosing how many people they've donated to. Um, a lot of creeps preying on women who are just desperate to get a child and it's really, really sad. Um, it's, it's, they're hey, so vulnerable to be even even in, so the in the first place and then so, insisting yeah. on natural insemination, which basically there are parental rights with that as well. well. Yeah, and I don't know, part of me, you know, part of me draws a line that at what point do you say that that is sexual assault? Agreed. You know, you're fully um, taking advantage of someone in a very vulnerable You really situation. are. You really are. And I just think it's kind of sick. Um, I did end up coming across a young man who we chatted for a while. We met in person. I insisted on genetic screening and all of those kinds of things. So I paid for that. Um, he went and had all the STI checks and all of those kinds of things um, and whatnot. But um and yeah, so and then we went ahead. I think it took about four months until we got to a point where I was like, okay, well, I'm ready. Are you still comfortable? We did the legal agreement and whatever. Um, And first go, we're pregnant. Um, And then unfortunately I miscarried like the week before Christmas um, with that first time. It was was a shit show. (laughs) I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was bloody awful. And I had also not considered miscarriage to be honest because no one talks about it and I remember even going to the doctors where you know she was doing the blood work and I that was the first time I knew what that was um the numbers going up and up and she's like unfortunately they're going back down and you know and I said but what does that mean she's like unfortunately you're having a miscarriage I'm like but what does that mean like what do I do am I going to bleed to death like I you know (laughs) I remember walking away going I wish they created even just a pdf that they could send to you that kind of goes through this is what happens when you go through a miscarriage this is what you need to do to prepare Mm. um that was really hard yeah it was horrible so uh yeah Christmas day I got quite drunk with friends and had oysters and all of the things that I wasn't allowed to have (laughs) Fair enough. Um, That's understandable. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah. So went through all of those kinds of things, and then eventually, after that happened, I decided maybe I should have a chat to some clinics. Um, so I was told, and purely from one of the solo mothers online, Australia or Victoria, one of the two, where people talked about going through clinics. Um, they said to contact quite a few and actually, you know get a bit of a feel for what's out there, what your options are. Um, and it was really weird because as soon as they found out I was solo, quite a few of them treated me differently. And that oh, really? was a bit of a red flag. Oh. Um, and, yeah, and then eventually I <laughs> had my Instagram hacked and so I had to start a new Instagram account because I couldn't get access to it. And um, an old acquaintance um, got a notification, you know, when you start a new Instagram, it says people you might know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he sent me a message and said, oh, my God, it's been a long time. Look at you. How are you? Blah, blah, blah. And we just got chatting and, you know, what's the craziest thing you did during co- in lockdown? And he disclosed to me, he's like, well, you know, I actually became a sperm donor and helped some friends of mine conceive after five years of IVF. And, you know, they couldn't get on this, you know, the, the donor list was so long, the wait was horrendous. And then every time they found, you know, a match, it was not a genetic match um, or their genetic issues. And yeah. And so I hadn't even told him what I was doing. And so Ooh. after that, I was like, oh my God, well, you're not going to believe this. I wasn't going to say anything, but now you've said that. And so I told him my experience and he was like, oh my God, he's like the universe for us together. This is just so strange. And we Thank had you, Instagram hacker. Yeah. I know. Seriously. Thought anything good would come out of that. I know, right? <laughs> um, so that was, yeah, that was incredible. And so we met up um, for coffee and had a bit of a conversation and he was just like, I know how hard it is with the donor list to get access due to COVID and, and whatever and going through the thing a lot, you know, is challenging. So reach out if you've got any questions. And, you know, he's like, I actually, he lost his mother in COVID. And she was a solo mum, not by choice, unfortunately, but um, he had 
enjoyed the experience of, of helping his friends conceive so much that he decided he wanted to do it one more time to honor his mother but he wanted to support a solo mum and it was just amazing he was yeah he was my knight in shining armor I've got to say like just what a beautiful human and we had the most beautiful talks we there was nothing was off the table the way we would talk about what each of us wanted out of it and the yeah. process and, and all of those things um yeah, so that's kind of where it all led to. And we opted for at-home insemination um, to begin with. Um, so probably one of the things when I went through the clinics actually ended up going through initially was um, number one, fertility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd heard amazing things about Lynn Burmeister. Um, it was just a different experience for me, I have to say. Like I was sent off to do all of these blood tests, Um they've got to be done on certain days of your cycle. So it can take four to six weeks by the time you you get all these. It's a lot of time. Um, And then you finally get your little consult and it's four minutes. And the first thing she said to me is like, you've got a 4% chance of having a a falling pregnant naturally. And I was like, what? 4%? How? Like my my GP has said that my results are great and there's no medical reason. And she's like, well, Sarah, you're 40. You know, IVF is your only option. And it just That's a bit harsh. I know her bedside manner is not the greatest. And I I, I know that when she's dealing with infertility and, and IVF stuff, she's very good at that. But the fact that no one would go through the reasons behind it, like go through my blood work that I've just spent so much time to do and explain to me where the shortfall is and where are things going wrong. And rather than having a Band-Aid effect, let's address what the issue is and can we fix that issue? And I just didn't get that. So I literally got off the phone and burst into tears and thought my life was over. That was it. I was never going to have cheap kids because 4% just doesn't cut the mustard. It's not, you know, that was devastating. Um so after that, I went away to Queensland and caught up with some friends. We all went camping on the beach. And my friend's sister is a fertility nat- uh, naturopath. Ah. So she went through IVF with all her kids and her experience was that she couldn't find something to support her through her journey of going through IVF and it was really tough. And so she invested all this time and she was like, you need to come and see me. We'll do an online consult because I'm in Melbourne. She's in Queensland. And I booked time with her. Her name is Julie Noble. She was phenomenal. The, she, I think our first consult was two and a half hours and she went through so much information, sent me off to do tests, and then she looked at other areas. So, like, when you look at celiac and stuff like that, people just test you for the one test. There's actually numerous other ones underneath it are the ones that actually will show up with the markers. So you might test negative on the main one. But there could be these underlying factors where just one of them can cause issues with your fertility. So she just went deep in all these, like, oh, my God, I must have looked like a junkie with the amount of blood tests that I had to get done. But she was so thorough. And then she went through line by line every single test and walked through what it was, what it meant, where where I sat and how can we fix it or what was good, what wasn't. She was just amazing. And so we discovered that I actually had the MTHFR gene tested positive for that, which I was just like, how is a clinic not testing that first and foremost? Because, you know, after all these miscarriages and not being able to get pregnant. And meanwhile, my new donor, my magical knight in shining armor, we were still going, we were not wasting cycle on cycle. I was like, let's just go because I don't want to waste a cycle if we fall pregnant naturally, like wonderful. And I'll learn things along the way. Um, so, you know, the MTFR thing was fixed with folinic acid, you know, a $12 vitamin. And yeah. I was also encouraged to go and get a tubal flush yep. to make sure that there was nothing impacting. Um, so was that pretty months, easy to just go and organize? No, I actually had to request that through number one. Right. So they requested it or gave me a referral to someone else in North Melbourne. He was a very lovely doctor. It was a very painful, I have to say, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was a horrible experience. Like I remember halfway through it saying, oh, my God, stop, stop, stop. And he's like, Sarah, if we stop this, you're going to have to come back and do it again. Like we're halfway through. I will stop if you really want me to, but I want you to just make a a decision right now. We're going to be done in one minute. Can you hold one more minute? It's like we're so close and everything's looking so good so far, but, you know, we're very close. He was lovely about it. And I was like, okay, okay, I can do this. 
And I was under general anesthetic when I had it. I didn't even. I wish I was under general. They told me to take a Panadol. I was just like, oh my god, I wish I took something much stronger. But um, yeah, it was full on, and yeah, I remember going home and just feeling really unwell for the next twenty four hours, and um, yeah, but. After that happened, the next cycle, boom, pregnant. Wow. Unfortunately, that was a chemical, but I kind of in the back of my head knew. And then the next one after that, I I don't know. I think by that point I'd lost faith and was just like, it's not happening. Uh, I don't know. And so I went out and had many, many glasses of wine at lunch and then did the at-home IUI <laughs> that evening and then, boom, pregnant. And now I have Dylan who is 12 weeks old today. So, yeah, that was, it was. Um, so you're just like a teenager basically. You just got drunk and. <laughs> just got drunk and got pregnant, like far out. <laughs> it's so funny because they tell you, um, you know, your whole life that if a boy sneezes on you, you're going to fall pregnant only to find out that it's it's incredibly difficult. So, Yeah. So I got there and gorgeous little Dylan, 12 weeks old, so the end of the fourth trimester. Holy moly, what a ride. (laughs) And what has the first 12 weeks been like? Is it what you thought it was going to be? I don't know if I even know what I thought it was going to be, to be honest. I don't think I thought about the detail around it. I think I just thought about this perfect little human that I've made, Mm -hmm. Um, which I still look at him every day and go, oh, my God, I made you. I made you. Um, He blows my mind. But, no, life is just chaotic. It has been complete and utter chaos. Um, We are learning every single day. Um, I think, you know, two of my girlfriends at non-separate occasions sent me the quote, this too shall pass, and I Mm. think I say it about 40 times a day. Um, You know, it is the hardest job I've ever had in my life, but so special at the same time like I wouldn't trade it for anything but you know every day we're learning you know you're breastfeeding throughout the night and I'm on YouTube or listening to podcasts or you know I'm trying to figure out okay he's not sleeping or he's doing this is it you know is it an issue is it you're just constantly researching um Dr Google but um yeah it's full-on like my whole life our routine my routine is completely different. I'm not doing really any of the things I usually love to do, but now I'm. we've kind of got to a point where he's not having to sleep and feed every couple of hours. We can stretch a little bit further. So we're, being, we're able to do a little bit more now. Yep. Um, but, no, I think, yeah, the, the first 12 weeks don't plan anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. You can't be spontaneous. I think you kind of need to plan everything that you do, but at the same time you need to be open to the fact that you may actually have to cancel that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and we've had a few times where, you know, we've had all these grand plans and, you know, you get one thing done and that's an achievement. You can't kind of go, but I didn't do those other five things. It's like, forget it. You did one. That's great. You got dressed and you showered today. That's a big achievement. <laughs> Getting a shower is a massive achievement at that Huge. stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so were you just by yourself for those first 12 weeks or have you been had family support or friends? Yeah, so I um with the I ended up actually having to have a cesarean and so regardless of what how he was brought into the world the plan was to go and stay with my dad for the first 6 weeks mm-hmm. so that I had someone to kind of feed me. <laughs> <laughs> um and just you know if anything were to go wrong or whatever I had someone there all the time. Um and Dylan's the first grandchild of the family as well. Oh. So it's pretty special so yeah I went and stayed with my dad and his partner um and was basically looked after for six weeks um it wasn't planned on being six weeks I kind of planned on being there for maybe two to four weeks max um but I wasn't really anticipating when I had agreed to that that I would be having cesarean and that you have you can't drive for six weeks I did try and get a clearance at four weeks and they were like nope you can't do that because from an insurance point of view if something happens to you your doctor is actually also liable for signing you off I didn't know that so she kind of explained a little bit more around why it's six weeks yeah and I think it's the whole you feel like you're fine, but if you were forced into a, sort of a reaction thing, you don't know if you're yeah. back quick enough. Yeah. And I, so I actually ended up getting an infection in my stitches oh. um, and that was just awful. So yeah, that was a bit miserable. And so yeah, I ended up staying for six weeks and I'm glad I did, to be honest, like as much as I was gagging to go home and have a glass of wine and hang with my friends, um, 
yeah, it was really just a godsend to have family take care of me. And we didn't have any visitors, like no friends from Melbourne came up the coast to visit us. And in a way, you know, I really missed everyone so much, but um, he hadn't had his vaccinations and mm. he did this, this tiny little vulnerable person. I, I just didn't want to risk anything. And it was winter, it's winter, it was freezing cold. And some days I really struggled to even get out of my PJs. <laughs> you know, it's it's a challenge. And the days go so fast. They do. And you don't feel like you've achieved anything, do you? You or achieved you, nothing. You're alive, but... Yeah, I remember dad turned to me one day and he's like, oh, my God, it's 3 o'clock. We've done nothing. Like, how did this happen? But yet we've been so busy. What have we been doing? And I'm like, oh, my God, I know, right? So, but, you know, we would try to get out each day. Like my dad would would drive us out to a cafe so I could have a coffee and just fresh air and and just the little things. We tried to do a little bit of that by about week three, week four. Yeah. But it was a challenge. Like, you know, sometimes it would take us two hours to get out of the house, like, so hard these little little people that demand our time of feeding and changing and sleeping and feeding and changing and sleeping so yeah all the things you have to take with you for them and oh my god everything and you overthink it all because you you don't know what how you meant to leave the house yet (laughs) oh my god and how much your back aches (laughs) yeah it's just full-on but um yeah like I I think yeah everything has kind of changed more to now being a much bigger focus on family Mm -hmm. um and everything just revolves around little Dylan. Um, you know, we're currently in the midst of moving house and trying to sell um, to move down the coast and be closer to family so we can have more support. Um, I guess support probably hasn't been as strong in Melbourne as I thought it would be with some friends. Yeah. And that has been quite confronting. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're all just on different journeys and some friends have never really been around a newborn. You know, it is a big, scary thing and you know, so they probably feel really useless and don't know how to reach out. And, you know, other friends that have children, they're already really busy, you know, yeah. putting fires with their own little people. So, yeah, it, it's, it's you know, I, I people are doing their best, but I think I probably just need a little bit more hands-on. Now that we're at the 12-week mark, there's things like, you know, I want to go get a pedicure or go to a Pilates class and do some things I really need to do for my body and for my sanity. And the only way I can do that is by having a family member look after him on a regular basis so I can go and do those things. So, you know, as much as friends are like, yeah, I'll come and do that, I just feel really bad putting people out. There's a bit of guilt there. So, yeah. It's hard when they're only 12 weeks as well. You're like, you trust your family to look after them, but you're just like, oh. Yeah, I mean, I'm really lucky. My neighbours here are phenomenal. A, a, who's a woman upstairs who's now become a very dear friend um, and she looks after him for me every now and then. Like yesterday I had to run out and we had the photographer come for the real estate yes. shoot today and I was like, oh, my God, I've got to go and get carpet cleaner because my dog had peed on the carpet in Dylan's room and I hadn't noticed it, the rebellion pee. Um <laughs> So I had to rush out and get carpet cleaner to try and get that stain out and get some light bulbs to change the down lights for today. And I was like, can you just watch him for 20 minutes? Like it's he's in his sleep zone. I can't take him out, but I need to do this. And she was like, I would love to. So it's been really nice having the ladies in the building saying, I will come and nurse him. I will take care of him. So, you know, for 30 minutes or an hour here and there, it's been really beautiful. So I'm really lucky with that. But, you know, I can't be calling on them every single day to take him. <laughs> Have you found it hard to ask for help and ask them to do that? Absolutely. I am notoriously famous for not being able to ask for help until I'm literally breaking down. Um, I do it at work and it's definitely a flaw of mine, but I think having a baby, you really have to learn to, uh, you have to ask and you have to be specific. I need help with X, Y, Z and when and how long that might be and things like that. Um, yeah. So it's been really challenging um, to do that, but at the same time, it's a big deal for me to ask helps for help. And when people won't help or can't help, I sometimes take that a little bit personally. I'm trying to work on that. <laughs> But I'm, I'm a very sensitive individual. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't know, like you've got all these hormones going through your body. Like I just find, yeah, I'm quite a sensitive person and I'm really, I'm trying to be better. I'm really trying to work on those things and just, you know, just general boundaries and being clear about my needs and things like that. So, yeah, 
we're getting there. I mean, one of my girlfriends came over and was like, I just need someone to hold him for 30 minutes so I can deal with the stylist for styling my apartment. And my friend who's literally six weeks away from giving birth came over with her two-year-old toddler and she was just a rock star. I was so grateful. But it's like, holy moly, if you can get over here, what are the others doing? But, yeah, anyway, I mean, people are just busy, I guess. So, yeah. yeah. How do you think you've changed as a woman since um, since having done I think life has completely changed. Um, as I said, like, I can't just pop out to the shops or go to the supermarket to, to get things, um, you know, I'm lucky I've got my neighbours who can ha- have him here and there. Um, but, I mean, you know, this evening we went to the supermarket to pick up a few things and I literally had to put him in a carrier and then we came out from the supermarket and some jerk had parked so close to my car that I couldn't actually get into the baby seat. And it was just like, oh, my God, panic, what do I do? Just breathe, just breathe, just breathe. So I went to the supermarket and asked them to put an announcement over the loudspeaker <laughs> to tell this jerk to move their car. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it just makes things really challenging. Like spontaneity is almost impossible. Um, now and then, you know, we'll pop out for a walk on a sunny day because, you know, it's like, great, it's his sleep time. He sleeps well in the pram. I get some exercise. He gets some fresh air and a nice sleep. Um, but I think probably the biggest thing, as we touched on just before, is you must ask for help and you must accept help. Say yes. If someone wants to bring you a meal, just go, don't say, oh, no, it's okay. Say, yes, that would be lovely. Thank you. Like a lot of that. Some friends of mine sent me meals and I am so the person who deeply wants it but will say, no, no, don't trouble yourself. And they, you know, those meals were an absolute godsend. It kept me fed for a week where I otherwise would not have been able to do that. Um I think that's yeah, quite a common trait with us solo moms. We're not very good at oh, accepting yeah. help or asking for it. Absolutely. But, yeah, it's the hardest job, but I'm happy. And, you know, probably the biggest thing I've realised is Dylan is the man of my dreams. <laughs> you know, he looks just like me, which is what I always wanted was a little baby that would look just like me. And, you know, you look at my birth photos and his birth photos and even my both my mum and dad were like, oh, my God, he's you. He's all you. Um, and even the donor, he has seen pictures and he's just like, I don't see any of me in him, but, you know, that's awesome he's gorgeous so you know it's yeah that's really nice it's quite exciting and you know he's really brought me a lot closer to my family I had a really difficult relationship with my mum for quite a long time and we're just very different people I guess but um that has really changed I've noticed in particularly in the last six weeks and that's um in a really lovely way and I really want Dylan to have a good family dynamic and a really good relationship with both his grandparents and family members and I really want to kind of break the chain of some of the challenges I faced growing up in a family and and really um you know be that person who can be strong for him and and advocate for him and encourage him to have special relationships but not force him into anything he doesn't want yeah. as well so yeah it's yeah everything changes like you just sacrifice you self sacrifice so much for yourself but I think at the same time there's that fine line between honoring yourself as well and making sure that you are looking after yourself if that makes sense it's hard when you're still in that fourth trimester though isn't it (laughs) yeah it's a real challenge so hence yeah accept all help definitely yeah if someone says do you want me to hold him yes please (laughs) yeah and so you mentioned the donor's seen a photo of him what kind of relationship are you planning to have with the donor ongoing so funnily enough so the donor and I Oh, we probably we we don't speak on the phone or anything like that, but we'll chat online regularly. So he, I've got a private Instagram account for Dylan, for all our friends and family members, so I can baby spam like mad. <laughs> Although I think I'm doing that on my own anyway, uh, on my personal Instagram account. Um, but he follows that, and he also got to meet Dylan when he was three days old. Oh, wow. So he came over to meet him, um, and that was a very it was very emotional for him. I think I was still in this newborn haze of, oh, my God, isn't he amazing? Like, wow. And I probably didn't look at things from his point of view of how challenging that could be emotionally to meet this little person that's, you know, essentially a product of you. Um, And it was beautiful. Like he brought a beautiful gift that was his blanket from when he was a baby. And 
that was so special. And he shared photos of him when he was a, a child as well growing up and that's been really lovely. But, yeah, he got to hold him and there were tears, very happy tears, and it was very hard for him and he excused himself and was like, you know, if I'm if I'm very quiet over the next few months, it's just because I really need to process this and make sure that I give you the space as the mother to Dylan to do this, but it is really hard and he's so perfect and so beautiful and I'm just so happy for you. I'm so glad we got there in the end and he had a lot of beautiful things to say and it was really special. I've actually got a beautiful baby book for Dylan that was gifted at his at our baby shower yeah. and, um, and it doesn't say... Um, I think it says parent of baby and it's got two pages for parent one, parent two, and I've crossed out parent and wrote donor of baby. And so I've got this beautiful page with a photo of his donor and it goes through all his interests and things like that. So when he, as he grows, he can know a bit more about him. But, yeah, I kind of on that day my regret is not having a photo of the two of them. I never, mm-hmm. I think we just got caught up in this moment and, yeah, I just didn't get to it. So I'm hoping that he'll meet Dylan again at some point and we can take a photo of the two of them so that we can put that in his book. But, yeah, it's not sort of a close relationship going on. It's just... Um, no, I don't think so. One of the things we had spoken about and is also in the agreement is that we'll always kind of be in contact around things to do with Dylan um, when Dylan is old enough and I know no doesn't cut it for me as a child it never did and I'm very curious and I'm even noticing little things with Dylan he's very curious um he's a little sticky beak and mm-hmm. you know he'll be raised knowing that he's donor conceived and how it all came about and there'll be a book and we've got all the books as well and we're trying to collect more and um you know I, I want him to be able to meet his donor when he wants to. So if he's six and says, I want to know who my donor is, then that is a conversation for the donor and I to say, listen, it's come up. How do we want to tackle this? Are you comfortable moving forward and, and meeting him and, and having that conversation yeah. of, you know, how do we, and, and we don't know the answers just yet, but um, the one thing I loved about him is that he was open to that and he agreed that that was actually really important and a really important part of Dylan's identity as he grows as a little being. And I don't want to be ever to withhold any information from him. I don't want to ever say, no, you have to wait till you're 18 because I know that can be very challenging. And I listen to a lot of podcasts from donor conceived children who really struggled with that. And, you know, then there are others who didn't and they were like, you know, my parents, my parent, and I really didn't care who my donor was. I'm just glad that they did what they did. And I think that's beautiful, but I know my personality and I just thought if he's anything like me, it's not going to cut it and I don't know how I'm going to manage that. So I really wanted to have a known donor so that we could, he could meet that person at some point. Um, and he also has children. So by the time Dylan's 10, his children will be adults. So, um, he, yeah, I, I don't know how we would manage it with meeting siblings at yeah, some point. Talk about now. that? We've talked about it. Um, he's divorced. So, you know, I think there is a really important part of that where the mother of the children need to kind of have some sort of input with that. So I think probably when the children are adults, then it's fine. Um, but that's something for him to consider on his part along the way. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, Dylan will let us get to when he's age 10 and then we can address it after that because that solves a lot of problems. But it's definitely something I want for him. And, um, yeah, like I, I'm trying to just to learn from so many other people who have gone through this process and have a known donor or how they approach um, the relationships with the donor or, you know, whether they're known or anonymous and what that looks like for them. So I think everyone has shared so far some really interesting insight to how they're approaching that down to even what do they call them? Like I have to constantly correct my mom, like, no, 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 he's not the dad, he's not the father, he's the mm. donor. Yeah. Because um, she's like, oh, well, you know, do you think he's got, does he look any, are there any facial things here that he might look like the dad? And I'm like, no, mum, it's the donor, the donor. You need to be really careful around the language here. So, you know, it's um, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Did you talk about the the other donor sibling that obviously he's got with the, the couple that he helped originally? Yeah. Um. So we, we did touch on it and I don't think it's probably, I don't know if it's going to be an option for us to meet them from what I am aware and I didn't want to kind of cry too much because I'm sure if it was on the table he would have 
said so. Um, but I think they are kind of keen to keep it under wraps themselves and have the father of the child known as the father rather than actually disclosing that their donor conceived. I'm not quite sure how they're going to manage it, but I think it's a bit of a sensitive one. So, um, you know, if that changes, I have said to him, he's welcome to pass on my information and say, hey, you know, if this is something that you would like to explore at some time, I'm happy to introduce you to Sarah. Um, but, yeah, I think at this stage it might not be an option for us at this stage. So much simpler if you're a solo mum than if you're a heterosexual couple having to navigate that, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's tough. Like I really feel for anyone going through it. I caught up with for coffee with a girlfriend recently and her brother had um, and his husband had recently gone through surrogacy and they've had a beautiful little boy as well, yeah. literally within a week or so of Dylan, and they live down the coast as well to where we're going to move. So she's going to organise us to meet up. Um, but even just what they went through and how you kind of navigate the donor sides of thing, whether it's donor sperm, donor egg, surrogacy, all those kinds of things. Like there's so many sensitive, challenging elements, so many layers. It's, yeah, it's tough. Mm. And if you look back on your journey now, is there anything that you wish you'd done differently or changed? Yes. <laughs> I wish I didn't wait so long. Um, I I don't know. This, this, part of me says I wish I didn't wait so long because the way he came into the world, there's a lot of little things that happened along the way that I think was the universe redirecting me or re-correcting the journey. Um, yeah, it would have been nice to to do it earlier, but then, you know, I probably wouldn't have been in a better, a good financial position or, you know, things like that. I think I matured a hell of a lot in those five years. Mm. Um, you know, I'm 41 and I feel sad that I may only get 40 years with my little boy. Mm. And that's a really hard pill to swallow. That's something that brings me to tears on a regular basis because I just I want to watch him grow and blossom in so many ways. So, um, and I, yeah, I, I want him to have that relationship with me for as long as we possibly can. So, yeah, it's a tricky one. And and just knowing that, you know, even being older and my parents are ageing, you know, they'll be pushing into their 70s in the next few years. And, yeah, it's even made them reassess a lot of things in their lives and to focus on their health and well-being to make sure that they are here a lot longer, which is, you know, a positive. But, yeah, it's just one of those things you just kind of go, oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we all wish we could have time, but at the same time, you know, I think it's just important that we focus the time that we have now and make the most of that and really try and make sure that we have the most magical lives together and have loads of fun and try not to take things too seriously if we don't have to. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. your personality, good luck. No. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Is there anything else you wish you'd done differently besides studying him? Um. I don't know. Um, I think that's probably, oh, listen, I think probably throughout even just the pregnancy process, I probably, I, I really learned a hell of a lot along the way. And I think anybody who goes through infertility, you almost become an expert on so many different things, whether you become an expert in IVF or um, all the different medications and, and yeah. things like that. How do people get pregnant accidentally or just by having sex? Oh, my like, God, I hate them. I'm joking. No, I don't <laughs> hate them. I'm very envious. <laughs> Um, yeah, they're very lucky people. Um, yeah, I think some of the things I probably, it's more around the knowledge things of educating myself. I mean, even going through, you know, you prepare for birth and things like that. And I did this incredible online course, um, through Core and Restore, Core Restore Floor, something like that, but I'll mm -hmm. give you the link. Um, and this woman created this incredible, like eight series birth class, online during COVID because we couldn't do anything mm -hmm. and then she offered it up for free or by donation and so I was like oh well, I might check this out before I go and purchase a birthing class and I also felt really weird about going to a birth class on my own I was just yeah. like well, I'm not going to have someone to rub my back and or maybe I will I don't know um and it was the best like it was so interesting but then after he's been here there were some things I wished I had have done more research or learnings about breastfeeding Mm -hmm. you know 
like birth is one thing and I focus so much on this, you know, I'd hoped to have this magical, no medical, no medication, no surgery. I wanted a water birth, a natural water birth. Like don't touch me, don't give me the drugs, don't do this. Like what an idiot. And thought, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'd done all this research to the point I downloaded the research papers to support how safe water birth was so I could advocate for myself to the obstetrician who was telling me no. Um, <laughs> yeah, not not OCD at all. No, um, no, no. <laughs> and, you know, that all went out the window because, unfortunately, I had a few complications and ended up having to have a cesarean. So I wish I had done a bit more research earlier in the piece about what can lead to, you know, what is the cascade of intervention and what makes you lead to certain things. Like there was... I had thought, oh, yeah, well, I'll just get an epidural. But then I learned, the more I learned about different ways birth can happen and the different interventions that happen along the way, I it changed my mind. And I only learned some of these things at the very end. So I think I focused way too much on all the wrong things when, yeah, I think you kind of need to throw away being married to any particular way that you're going to give birth and be open it's more about being open. so I did a birth map which kind of mapped out if not this then this so it was more about really understanding what are things I really don't want and how do I want this to be a magical experience and I was so lucky in that the week before it all happened um, I was able to plan this incredible cesarean birth um and have two of my best friends by my side and that was phenomenal I mean listen I had spent even the two weeks before that creating two incredible playlists one the calm birth list which I'm happy to share the link with people and another one was the epic energy birth list so I was like going to be doing salt and pepper push it real good you know in the birthing state <laughs> in my birth pool uh <laughs> <laughs> and then the calm birth when I was like, I've had enough of the high energy stuff. I need something that's really peaceful. Bit of Nora Jones. Um, yeah, and we didn't use it. We used no playlist, the calm no. stuff for the cesarean, but I created a much shorter version and that was quite incredible. <laughs> but it's just interesting, you know, the different things that we spend time on in planning for this birth, which is literally, you know, if it's a cesarean, it's a couple of hours, right? Mm. If it's uh, you know, going through a vaginal birth, it's it's sometimes it could be, you know, 48 hours. Sorry for those people who have had the really long, yeah. You've got a really long playlist that they can borrow. Well, I think it's nine hours, so you can put <laughs> it on repeat a few times, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think there are so many other things that we, once we educate ourselves on birth and what it is and all the different stages, but all the stuff that comes afterwards, it's the stuff that comes afterwards maybe the stuff that comes before. So understanding what is labor and know, knowing when you're going into labor and when things are not happening, when to kind of go, oh, okay, maybe I do need a plan B. Um, you know, I know a few of my friends are very anti-cesarean. I was one of those. Absolutely. I was like, I'm not having a cesarean. I'm doing this. I don't want that. Um, but I had low-lying placenta. I had marginal cord insertion. I had gestational diabetes. And I was 41 and we got to 39 and a half. recipe for a C-section. Yeah, just bring it on. And we got to 39 and a half and labour hadn't started still. And I was just like, I could go a few more weeks like this. And my obstetrician was just like, you are not going another few days. Like if your placenta stops working, you're in trouble, honey. You've come so far to try and get this baby here. We are carrying precious cargo. We're booking you in. And so, yeah, we I got booked in and I was like, great. If labour starts early, awesome. But if it doesn't, at least I know I've got a plan now. And weirdly, the night before cesarean, I'm pretty sure labour had started. The morning of the cesarean, I lost my mucus plug. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we hooned down the Nepean Highway and I stopped for petrol and my friend was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you getting petrol? We're going to have a baby. <laughs> um, yeah, so, it, yeah, it's interesting all the, the different things that can happen, but I, I, I don't know sometimes I'm like maybe I need to write a couple of pages of a pdf for a beginner's guide to focus on this not this but these are all the important things you need to know but more so focus on the pre-birth what to know about and then the uh the post-birth stuff like the changes in your body oh, god, yeah. phenomenal. oh my god my boobs they used to be the best boobs in the world and now they just I don't know what happened to them you just need really good bras after you finish breastfeeding Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. 
Absolutely. But even just, you know, knowing what is rest, I didn't know what rest was and I realise that now and that's probably why I got an infection because I was doing too much. I was going to say, do you know what rest is? (laughs) No, still don't. I'm really trying but, um, yeah, (laughs) it's a challenge and just nurturing yourself, you know, even knowing about the different kinds of foods that really help nurture your body um, the first 40 days after you give birth and that's just paramount it is so bloody important as much as yeah yes go get that pizza and have that glass of wine but you know get some really bloody good nutrients into you as well because it helps the amount your body needs to do to create the milk and everything it's just we are actually miraculous aren't we oh my god yes and that was the other thing like the more I learned, the more I was just in awe of women, of just we are magical beings. We are the superior race. I don't care what anyone says. Holy crap. We create a whole new organ and we create life. So, you know, <laughs> yes, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, pretty incredible. Yeah. And so if there's any little unicorns thinking about whether this is the right path for them, what advice would you give them? Um, probably my big one. I thought about this a lot because... These are things I considered, but without actually realizing that's the process I went through. Um, but definitely consider your emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, your hormones will go through the roof. So if there is anything that is under the surface, it will bubble to the surface and you will lose it. Um, my ex-boyfriend got on the end of that. Uh, <laughs> a few friends have had me, you know, deal, have had to deal with me, you know, being a blubbering mess. Like you get really emotional um you'll watch something on the news and you'll end up in tears because it changes you even before you give birth everything just become you're a very sensitive being um but yeah become very soft yes I definitely agree yeah yeah but your emotional well-being is really important and one thing I did was go and see a psychologist to talk about the process I was going through and to make sure that I was actually okay because I think you know you're in survival mode doing a lot of this it's so hard and if you are dealing with infertility it can destroy you. It is so bloody hard. So make sure you look after your emotional, mental well-being would be number one. Um, your financial well-being, as much as you know, we don't have to have all the money in the world. You don't want the stress over your head of not knowing when your next paycheck's coming from to pay rent, and you've now got a baby. So I think financials and your support network. I actually mapped out my support network in Excel. <laughs> yes, I'm that person. You are. Um, But just, you know, really mapping it out and kind of going, okay, if shit hits the fan, who am I going to call? You know, if I have to take my baby to the children's hospital, who am I calling? Who who can I rely on? Who can I really rely on? Um, Really good to get that written down if you end up with a cesarean as well. So So I did that. Yeah. Yeah. So my birth map actually had on it. So I had two of my besties, one who'd flown in from New South Wales and she's a doctor. So she came into surgery and became besties with all the other surgeons and whatever, which was hilarious. Um, but it said, you know, in the event that I am unable to, I give full consent to Margot and Marie to, you know, um, to feed my baby, to do skin to skin, to do absolutely everything that I am required to do. And I had both of them because I wanted someone who just could stay with me if something happened and I wasn't alone, but I also wanted someone to go with my baby if we were separated. And, you know, Margot stayed with me in surgery and into recovery. And when Dylan came out and we had to be separated for a short period of time, um, my bestie Marie was the first to hold him. So they are both officially his aunties um, and will always be, which is so incredibly special. But that was really important to me is making sure that even throughout the birth process, I really had the support around me. So it might be something to worth, you know, considering because I know for me I got quite emotional going through it. I felt I was alone. There were some times where I got really emotional and thought, oh, my God, I'm alone. I don't have the partner rubbing my back. I don't have the partner, you know, when your waters break in the middle of the night driving you off like Hollywood to the bloody, you know, hospital. Mm. Um, and you start throwing yourself a little bit of a pity party. I know I did on many, many occasions. Um yeah, so knowing who your support network is and, and when birth is going to take place, however it happens, who are your people and who are those beautiful beings that when you are absolutely shitting yourself, and you probably will shit yourself if you're having a natural birth, I've been told. Um, but, you know, having the spinal, I was shaking. I was 
so so scared and to have that person next to me holding my hand and saying it's okay babe you've got this you've got this you know um I burst into tears when they brought him up onto my chest I couldn't breathe I was just hyperventilating and it was I was overwhelmed with emotion and then a Bob Dylan song comes on of course (laughs) not that he was named after Bob Dylan but just certain songs that you never forget and it's just connected to everything um yeah my head is named after Dylan from Beverly Hills 90210 because I had the biggest crush on him I did have a massive crush on him But Dylan means son of the sea and he was born at Sandringham Hospital near the sea, which is what I wanted, and we're going to live by the sea on the oh, Ballarat. And we live in St Kilda currently. So um, and his donor also absolutely loves everything about the sea. So it just made sense. And his middle name is Sunny because he was quite jaundiced and every morning the sunshine would just come through and just be on him. And I'm like, he's pure sunshine. So yeah. it all kind of happened. But um. Yeah, what are the other things considering um, your career and work? That was, uh, having spoken to a few other women, I mean, I did a lot of research <laughs> and, and learned so much about people from your show and a few others. But, um, yeah, just, just knowing you just don't want the additional stress of stuff. So kind of being able to plan ahead of, okay, what are the next two years potentially going to look like and your living situation. I thought I could do this in my little two-bedroom apartment in St Kilda Um with a dog and it's just been really challenging because babies come with lots and lots and lots and lots of things and we're constantly stepping over stuff and I'm so scared that I'm literally going to trip over and drop him um and I just I didn't realize how much I yeah I didn't realize how much support I really needed so we're going to move closer to family so that I can have a bit more support for me and for my mental well-being yeah. Uh, particularly when I go back to work next year I'm not comfortable putting him in childcare too young um, I don't want to miss anything. So I'm going to have daddy daycare and, and my mum will come over as well, but hopefully they will do daycare from my house. So if he starts walking, they can be like, come. <laughs> I'm not going to miss out on, I'm hopefully you're not going to miss out on some of those things. So, um, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's just, it's such a huge decision. And I just personally think it's really important to set yourself up for success. And that means um, being able to support this little person once they are here, not just, in the process of getting to pregnant and to birth. Um, but, you know, if you're ready to roll and you have stability financially, emotionally and all of that, bloody go and do it. Stop deliberating. Stop saying maybe, maybe because time, it ticks, ticks, ticks away and you'll be just like me on this podcast at some stage going, I wish I started earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, but they are just Oh, he's the best thing in the whole world. As much as I am so tired and so sleep deprived, it's um, it's amazing how much sleep you can survive on <laughs> lack thereof. Yeah, you somehow get energy just looking at their little faces, though, don't you? Oh, you just do. He has just he has brought so much into my family's life. Like I don't come from the perfect family. It's been challenging throughout the years for many different reasons, and you know. It's it's phenomenal. Like just he's given both my parents who are divorced and don't talk. <laughs> That's a whole other issue. But he has just brought so much sunshine into both their lives. And I feel like it's potentially going to be maybe quite healing for both of them because they're going to have to get used to being together at some point, like Christmases and birthdays. And, you know, they're going to have to leave their shit at the door. And I, I just think it's a huge relief for me to be able to say, well, you've got a grandson now, behave yourselves. Um, they've got a very important person to pull their socks up for. And, yeah, like both of them are just glowing and so happy when they're around him. And I've never, ever seen this kind of happiness in my parents' faces before. It's, it's yeah, it's really beautiful. It's really healing and comforting and nice. It's just so nice. <laughs> and you made that. I did. I mean, I know it's not always going to be smooth sailing, but for now, I'm yeah, I'm really displeased with how it's going, and and even just with friends and and stuff like that. You know, you 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 will form really unique bonds with other friends, and you know, in my my own situation, probably a lot of um, friends who have children. I've had a lot of beautiful friends that I haven't seen in donkey's years who reached out and sent beautiful gifts and have come to meet Dylan and me and have brought me food and you know and have said listen have, when did you shower last I'm gonna hold him go shower like yeah. you know you make new friendships and 
sad, probably one of the biggest things that has been hard for me is that I know that my friendships are changing and I'm still always going to love those people, but we're probably going to drift away a little bit because, you know, we're on different journeys and some of those who are, are cool will come along and some of them will go, you know what, that's cool, I'm happy for you, but I'm happy doing my thing over here. And that's, you know, it's hard, but, yeah, I am also getting closer with other people who have children and I cannot wait to come to one of the meetups. <laughs> we're going to get there. Um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful new journey and a beautiful new beginning and I am actually just really excited about what the future holds and it's all because of this beautiful little person. So, yeah, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> and I'm really happy to follow along and see the amazing journey that the two of you have together. Yes. Thank you. So thank you so much for sharing your story, Sarah. I just love seeing you and, and baby Dylan and look forward to whatever else comes your way. Thank you. Can't wait. <laughs> I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.